0: alive, sir. I saw it. I shot at it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat mewing. Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got...
1: Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world, as different from us, as one pole from the other. If we can only communicate with it. See, What happened to In the greenhouse, I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olson scream.
0: Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light
1: switch. 1.9. Needle's at the top.
2: My name is Optimus Prime.
1: I am the futures of Borg. Resistance is futile. Yes, Jedi's strength flows from the Force. But beware of the dark side. Actually, it's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate, but it's a gold titanium. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
3: This is uh, Reeves and you're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi.
4: What's happening, everybody? This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks and Sci-Fi, episode 459 for Sunday, October 20th, 2013. Today, I'm going to take a look at one of the best science fiction movies of the 1950s. This movie is the granddaddy of all science fiction horror movies. It's the 1951 classic, The Thing from Another World. Before I get into this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. Before I play the main title theme, I've got a message from the man himself, Rico. Take it away.
3: Hello, folks. This is Rico, and I'm just taking a little moment breaking into Mark's podcast for this week to tell you about a new shirt order that I'm putting together. This time, it's not a T-shirt for treks and Sci-Fi. We're going to do a polo shirt. They're dark gray, and they're going to be embroidered on the sort of pocket area or where the pocket would be, I guess. Uh, you're gonna see a little delta shield like uh, you know the insignias on all the Star Trek shows and movies. And it's gonna say Trex and Sci-Fi under that with the URL, Trex and Sci-Fi, www.allthatstuff.com you know, all that stuff .com under that. To uh, to better get a better uh, idea of what these look like, uh, just go over to the main site TrexandSci-Fi.com. And the uh, right-hand side of the page or so there, if you look in the entertainment and news section, you'll see a listing for the shirts there where you can order them. And you can also find this on our Facebook group and on the forum as well orders are due in for your shirt uh, by october 26th that's only about a week away we're trying to get these out in the next month or so hopefully to have them uh, to wear to your holiday parties and get togethers and look really sharp and snazzy so get those orders in soon these are going to be really slick really sharp a uh, very uh, nice embroidered polo shirts for uh the trex and sci-fi community so get your orders in soon thanks bye bye
4: So now let's get into some movie information. The Thing from Another World was released April 29, 1951. It has a running time of 87 minutes. It was directed by Christian Naby. The screenplay was written by Charles Lederer. The movie was based on the 1938 novel, Who Goes There?, by John Campbell Jr. The music was written and composed by Dmitri Tmoykin, and it was distributed by RKO Pictures. And here's the cast. Margaret Sheridan as Nicky Nicholson, Kenneth Toby as Captain Patrick Hendry, Robert Cornthwaite as doctor Arthur Carrington, Douglas Spencer as Ned Scotty Scott, James Young as Lieutenant Eddie Dykes, Dewey Martin as Crew Chief Bob, Robert Nichols as Lieutenant Ken Mac McPherson, William Self as Corporal Barnes, Edward Franz as Dr. Stern. Paul Frees as Dr. Voorhees, John Durkis as Dr. Chapman, George Fendeman as Dr. Redding, and James Arnez as The Thing. Now let's get into the movie. The movie starts off in Anchorage, Alaska. Captain Henry and his flight crew are ordered by General Fogarty to fly to an Arctic research station and assist a group of scientists to investigate the crash of a mysterious aircraft. Reporter Ned Scott tags along to get the story.
0: Come in. Close the door. Yes, sir. Good evening, sir. Well, well, that didn't time. take you long to get here. Not many places around here to hide, sir. Just got a queer message from your picnic party up north from Dr. Carrington himself. Believe an airplane unusual type crash in our vicinity. Please send facilities to investigate. Most urgent. What do you suppose you'd find up there well, besides a good-looking girl? I don't know, sir. Any of our ships missing? No? No Canadians either. Could be Russians. They're all over the pole like flies. Don't get nervous. You're going. Yes, sir. Take along a dog team or anything you might need for rescue work. Yes. Come in. Close the door. Freddie, do you suppose the Pentagon could send us a revolving door?
1: Could be, sir. We got ten gross of pith helmets last week. Other report, sir. Okay, that's all.
0: Oh, and tell the old dear, if there's any more messages come in from Dr. Caring that I want to be notified personally, no matter what the time. Yes, sir. Well, here's your weather. There's a front moving in, but you ought to have time to get there and back without bumping into it. General, that newspaper man, Scott. Yeah, what about him? He'd like to go with us. It's all right with me if you maroon him up there. Now, don't get me wrong about who gets marooned. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't smash into the landing ski this time. That was an unavoidable accident, yeah. sir. Well, look, I'll expect you back sometime tomorrow night. Yes, sir. And I'll close the door. Just tell me what you find up there. No one tells me anything.
4: They board their trusty C-47 and fly 2,000 miles north to the research station. During the flight, Captain Hendry receives a radio call alerting him to a recent disturbance in the area, which is causing inaccurate instrument readings.
0: Wait a minute. Hello, Air Force 191 191 from Polar Expedition Six. Can you read me? Air Force 191, here you find Tex. What's your position? Three hours out. Captain, switch over to your radio compass and check it against your magnetic heading. What's on your mind, Tex? We've got some kind of disturbance up here, and it's whacking away at everything.
1: What do you figure it's from?
0: Don't know. We noticed it last night. Six to eight degrees difference, Pat. We're quite a bit off here, Tex you better home in on me. I'll leave the key open. Or would you rather have me sing to you? Leave the key open? I was afraid you'd say that.
4: Dr. Carrington explains to Captain Henry that the instruments at the station recorded something crashing into the ice.
2: Dr. Carrington, Captain Henry's here.
1: Yes, I know. How do you do, Captain? Doctor. Miss Nicholson, would you add a note to the others? Sure. November 2nd, 11.30 a.m., Deviation in Sector 19 continues 12 degrees, 20 minutes east. No lessening or wavering of disturbing element. That's all. Well, Captain, can we start now? You mind telling me where we're going, Doctor? 48 miles due east from here. You message that said an airplane crashed. Is that what we're looking for? I don't know, Captain. I think you'd better explain, Doctor. Oh, I'm sorry. Be... Miss Nicholson, would you read Captain Henry my first notes? Sure. I was thinking only of the vagueness <laughs> of my information. I dislike being vague. Uh, November 1st. Yesterday.
2: 6.15 p.m. Sound detectors and seismographs registered explosion due east. At 6.18, magnetometer revealed deviation 12 degrees, 20 minutes east. That
1: deviation has been constant We since ran into spent. it just before we reached here.
2: Such deviation possible only if a disturbing force equivalent to 20,000 tons of steel or iron 20, ore had become, had become part of the earth at about a 50-mile radius.
1: You're getting a bit beyond me, but it sounds like a meteor, doesn't it? Doctor? Yes, very much, except for one thing. We'll show it to Captain Henry. Oh, yes, sir. We have some special telescopic cameras. On the appearance of radioactivity, a Geiger counter trips the release and the cameras function. They were working last evening. Mm-hmm. This is the result. This first picture was taken three minutes before the explosion, or 612. You can see the small dot low there in the corner. Mm-hmm. On the next picture, one minute later, that dot is moving from west to east, moving fast enough to form a streak. What should this be using? Thousands of a second. Oh, moving pretty fast, wasn't it? Here at 614, it's moving upward. 615, it drops to the earth and vanishes. A meteor might move almost horizontal to the earth, but never upward. And it isn't a meteor. That's obvious. How do you determine the distance to the point of impact from here? By computation. Ready? Okay, I come? Ready? That's quite simple, Captain. We have the time of arrival of the sound waves and the detectors... and also the arrival time of the impact waves and the seismograph. By computing the difference, it becomes quite obvious... that they were caused by the traveling object. And the distance from here is approximately 48 miles. Now you lost me. I'll take your word for it. One thing, Doctor. 20,000 tons of steel is an awful lot of metal for an airplane. It is for the sort of airplane we know, Captain. Yeah, wait, where are we going? I thought you'd think so. Reading, you'll check every quarter hour. You yes, really so. want me, done? No, it won't be necessary, Mr. Mm-hmm. Lip.
4: you come with us, Bill? Yes, Doc. Captain Hendry and his crew fly Dr. Carrington and a group of scientists and reporter Ned Scott to the crash site. When they arrive at the crash site, a piece of the aircraft is sticking out of the ice. They've found a flying saucer buried in the ice
1: part of an airfoil, probably a stabilizer of some sort. It's an airplane, all right. Worries, can you tell what metal that is? I'll need some tools. Barnes, bring some tools. Hey, it's down pretty deep over here. I can't see anything but a dark mass. It's deeper over here. Captain, may I suggest that we spread out and try to determine the size and shape. Right.
0: Spread out, everybody. We're going to try to figure out the shape of this thing. Here's the...
1: Hey, it's almost... Yeah, almost a perfect... It is. It's round. We finally got one. We found a flying saucer. Can anybody see anything through the ice? From where you are. Only an outline. Nothing but a dark shape. There. Seems perfectly smooth. No doors or windows. I can't see any engine. I doubt if we find anything we call an engine. Dr. Carrington. This isn't any metal I know. Probably some new alloy. Get some filings for analysis. Right. Captain, I don't think we have a chance of chopping through the ice with axes. I know, Doctor. We think so, too. We're going to try to melt it out with thermite bombs. Oh, excellent.
4: They use thermite bombs to melt the ice around the saucer. They set off the thermite bombs, which causes a chain reaction and a larger explosion that destroys the saucer. After the explosion, one of Captain Hendry's men finds the pilot of the saucer frozen in the ice.
1: Captain, I'm getting something over here. Probably a fragment from the saucer. You may salvage something yet.
0: Hold on everybody, I'm getting a
1: reaction. Let me get a reading. Getting warm. Hotter now.
0: That's where it's coming
1: from. What is it? Looks like a man. Yeah, it's got legs and a head. I can see him. Yeah, he must be over eight feet long. Somebody got out of that saucer. Got out or was thrown out and frozen fast before he could get clear. Yeah. Man from Mars. How do you propose getting him out, Captain? I don't he know. Use more thermite. Not this. Whatever's
0: quickest. We don't have much time.
1: Here's some axes you can chop around and put the whole block in the sled and take it to the plane. I agree Get with that. started.
0: Give me room. Bob, clear the sled off and bring it over here. Eddie, get the ship warmed up. And we'll be ready to get out of here in a hurry.
4: They cut out a block of ice containing the alien and fly it back to the research station. They make it back to the research station just as the storm hits. The storm has disrupted radio communications. The scientists want to examine the alien, but Captain Hendry tells the scientists no one is to touch the alien until he gets orders from his superiors and Anchorage. He then places the block of ice under guard. Lieutenant McPherson is the first to guard the block of ice. Captain Hendry's crew chief later tells him that the ice is clearing up and you can clearly see the alien. It's got really spooky eyes. Oh, Captain. Yes,
1: Sergeant. Could I see you for a minute, sir? Sure. I don't like to bother you like this, Captain, but it's about Lieutenant McPherson first and sitting in there with that thing in that block of ice. getting nervous. Well, he wouldn't want me to tell you, sir, but he's having kittens. I haven't heard him squawk like this since we were over wrecking Really? You see, sir, the ice is clearing up, and we can see that thing pretty good now. It's got crazy hands and no hair, and the eyes, well, they're open, and they look like they can see. Bob, I haven't heard oh, you. <laughs> it's got me, too, sir, and I wasn't in there very long. Besides that, it's pretty cold. I got the lieutenant an electric blanket. Good. <clears throat> Captain, I got a suggestion. Go ahead. Well, now, instead of these four-hour shifts, we could cut them in half, you see. Yeah, okay. They're... You can tell Barnes to take over in a half an hour at 2200
4: Corporal Barnes relieves Lieutenant McPherson from guard duty. Corporal Barnes doesn't want to look at the alien in the block of ice. He covers the block of ice up with a blanket. An electric blanket. The blanket melts the block of ice, and the alien gets up and approaches Corporal Barnes. Corporal Barnes, of course, turns and starts shooting at the alien. Then he runs out the storage room and into the mess hall.
0: Captain Henry! What's the matter, Corporal? Dr. Chapman, where's the captain? I've got to tell him, I've got to tell him that thing's alive. I saw it, sir. Chase me, that thing's alive. It's not dead, it's... Captain Henry! That thing's alive, sir, I saw it, I shot at it, and I hit it, I know it. Nothing happened, it just kept... Coming at me, making a noise like a cat I mewing. Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got... To... All right, Bob, get some guns. Yes, sorry. sir. No, Barnes, what happened? I'm sorry, sorry. do well, no know exactly, But all of a sudden, it was out of the ice and alive and coming at me. I shot at it and hit it. Nothing happened, so I slammed the door. Ooh, easy, easy. i sorry,
1: sorry. Hey, I can no.
0: take care of him, will you?
4: Meanwhile... The alien leaves the storeroom and heads outside. The alien is attacked by uh, some sled dogs, and they rip off one of his arms. The alien, missing an arm, runs off into the storm. The scientists examine the severed arm of the alien and find it to be plant-based. During the examination, it begins to move. The scientists believe that the alien lives on blood.
1: Captain Hendrick would help me if you, any of you would describe what you saw out there. Well, it was too cold to see well, but the dogs had him down tearing at him. Yeah, I saw him get up with three of them hanging on his arm. Then he threw one dog at the rest. When well, we got there, two of them were dead. Or they looked like they'd been through a chopper. Uh, where did you find the arm? It was partly under what i wanted. Could yeah. dogs tear off an arm? It is kind of an arm... Be careful, Doctor. Those barbs, or whatever they are, are very sharp. Seems to be a sort of chitinous substance. What do you Mr. Archer? Something between a beetle's back and a rose thorn. Thorn fingered huh? Amazingly strong. Very effective, if used as a weapon. <laughs> oh, very. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Not with an arm off and out in that cold. He's yeah. dead now. He got along all right in a block of ice for every 24 hours. Pretty spry for a guy with 12 dogs on him. He sure After was losing an arm. Losing mm. my mind. Amazing, isn't it? Amazingly strong. Strange. I'm sure of it. That
0: is uh, blood on the hand, isn't it, Doctor?
1: Yes, but not his blood. Probably from one of the dogs. There's no (laughs) blood in the arm. No animal tissue. Dr. Stern, could you have a look at this under the microscope? Mm -hmm. No, Mr. Scott, I doubt very much if it can die, as we understand dying. Cats. Yes. Well, Doctor? No arterial structure indicated. No nerve endings visible. Porous, unconnected cellular growth. Just a minute. Imagine. Just a minute, Doctor. It sounds like you're trying to describe a vegetable. I am. Are you getting all of this? Oh, for Pete's sake. Quiet, Mr. You know, Doctor, that could be why the bullets fired by Sergeant Barnes had no seeming effect. That's right. Merely holes drilled into vegetable matter. This green fluid here... Like plant sap. We'll probably find it has a sugar base. Please, doctor, I've got to ask this. Mr. Scott? It sounds like, well, just as though you're describing some form of super-carrot. That's nearly right, Mr. Scott. This carrot, as you call it, has constructed an aircraft capable of flying some millions of miles through space. Propelled by a force as yet unknown to us. An intellectual carrot. The mind boggles. Shouldn't. Imagine how strange it would have seemed during the Pliocene age to forecast that worms, fish, lizards that crawled over the earth were going to evolve into us. Look, Doctor... On the planet from which our visitor came, vegetable life underwent an evolution similar to that of our own animal life, which would account for the superiority of its brain. Doctor Carrington... Its development was not handicapped by emotional or sexual factors. Doctor Carrington, you're a man who won the Nobel Prize you've received every kind of international kudos a scientist can attain. If you were for sale, I could get a million bucks for you from any foreign government. I'm not, therefore, going to stick my neck out and say that you're stuffed absolutely clean full of wild blueberry muffins. (laughs) But I promise you, my readers are going to think so. (laughs) Not for long, Mr. Scott. Not if they happen to know anything about the flora of their own planet. You mean there are vegetables right here on Earth that can think? certain kind of thinking, Yes. You ever hear of the telegraph vine? Not recently, are they, Is it the acanthus century plant, Dr. Stern? Yes. Go ahead, Doctor. That's your field. Well, the century plant catches mice, bats, squirrels, any small mammals. Uses a sweet syrup as bait. Then holds onto to its catch and feeds on it. May I have a snack, please? And what's the telegraph vine? Well, the vine research has proven can signal to other vines of the same species. Vines 20 to, well, 100 miles away. Intelligence in plants and vegetables is an old story, Mr. Scott. Older even than the animal arrogance that has overlooked it. <laughs> That's one for Ripley. Look here. I took this from under the soft tissue on the palm of the hand. Seed pod? Oh, seed pod? Yes. the neat and unconfused reproductive technique of vegetation. No pain or pleasure, as we know. No emotions. No heart. Our superior... Our superior in every way. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. If we can only communicate with it, we can learn secrets that have been hidden from mankind since the beginning of... Nicholson.
2: Yes, doctor.
1: At twelve ten a.m., the hand became alive. The temperature of the forearm showed a 20-degree rise. Because of this rise in temperature, I believe it was able to ingest the canine blood with which it was covered. I believe hey man, that this. You mean it lives on blood?
4: Captain Hendry and his crew get axes and guns, and search the research station for the alien. While searching the greenhouse, Dr. Carrington notices something is wrong. After Captain Hendry and his crew leave the greenhouse, Dr. Carrington and some scientists find evidence that the alien was in the greenhouse, and they find one of the sled dogs drained of its blood.
1: Gentlemen, I just happened to notice. Look at these molds. Well, they're wilted. The only thing... A could... blast of icy air if that rear door was opened. Have another look at that lock, will you, Professor? Yes, Dr. Ten or fifteen seconds of such exposure would do it. Exactly. What would that lead you to? That it may have
0: been... in here.
1: Without a doubt. Doctor Carrington, you were right. The lock's been forced and bent back into position again. The key's gone. Someone has entered and gone and locked the door from... the. Outside. Look, see how it glistens in the light? It's a smear of... blood sap. From the wounded arm? You don't suppose. Open it, please. How are the sled dogs. Not even cold yet. Doesn't it seem kind of shrunken? Is there any blood in there? None. No blood. No blood. Its blood has been drained. Everything falls right into line. What could be more natural for a being of its kind than seeking out the only open earth within miles? It came here for refuge, heard us, and ran. It's been here will come back again. We'd better tell Captain... I don't right agree to. with you, Doctor. I think it's far better if science rather than... Doctor, are army. you sure this is the best thing time? I'm yes. sure we can communicate with it. We must. It's wiser than we are. It's our only chance to talk to it, to learn so many things. Doctor oh, surely right. you can understand that, Stern. Will you stand guard here with me tonight, Wurries? And you, Lawrence? Very clearly, Doctor. Good. Oh. Stern, tell Doctor Auerbach and Doctor Olson what we've found. Ask them to come back and relieve us in the morning. And tell them, please, to confide in Noah.
4: While Captain Hendry and his crew are outside searching for the alien, the alien returns to the greenhouse and attacks the scientists on guards. One of the scientists escapes, while the other two are killed by the alien.
1: In the greenhouse. Cards, get out there and watch
0: that corner. Somebody
1: bring the first aid kit, please. Captain, this
0: is my job. Bobby, you better start warning everybody else in the camp. Does that speaker system work from here? Yes, the switch on the left guards over all room. Attention, everybody in camp. Stay where you are and bolt your doors. Our visitor has returned and is dangerous. Stay where you are until notified and bolt your doors. Stay where you are.
1: Oh. Easy, Doctor. Easy. It'll be all right. What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse, I was working. I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olson scream. When I turned the thing struck at me. Go on. Then. I don't remember my head. I must have fallen. When I came to, I saw Olson and Arbach. They were. Give me some more of that. I... Get those axes. Go ahead, Doctor. They were both hanging from the beams upside down. They were dead. Their throats were cut. I crawled out from under Was it still there when you left? I couldn't see.
4: Captain Hendry and his crew head for the greenhouse armed with guns and axes. Captain Hendry opens the door to the greenhouse and finds the alien standing in the doorway. The alien takes a swing at Captain Hendry as he closes the door on its arm. They barricade the doors to the greenhouse and keep the alien inside. Captain Hendry has a few choice words for Dr. Carrington.
1: Dr. Parrington, we just learned you found a dog in there, bled white by a visitor. You didn't report it. Why? I didn't consider it necessary. But it was necessary to let two of your friends in there to be killed. I posted them as a guard. I was in there Dr. myself Stern was five right. Hours. I looked through that door. They're hanging in there upside down like in a slaughterhouse. I wish you'd seen it. Isn't there something we can do about it? They're dead, and our job is to see nobody else join them. As for you, Doctor, you're limited to your room, laboratory, and the mess hall of this thing's finished. Captain, you have no authority of Bob. any kind to issue such No right to assume... You better move along.
4: Dr. Carrington has been experimenting with the alien seeds. He's growing aliens using blood plasma from the lab. You sent for us, Doctor.
1: You said you had news for us, Doctor. Yes. Yes, I have. Gentlemen, we find ourselves in a battle. I'm not referring to the minor argument of Captain Henry, but this creature from a new world... Two of our colleagues have died, the third is injured. Those are our losses, and there may be more. This creature is more powerful and more intelligent than we are. He regards us as important only for his nourishment. He has the same attitude toward us as we have toward the field of cabbages. That is our battle. Only science can conquer him. All other weapons will be powerless, only... Amos. I must be away. I've been trying to... <sighs> I'm sorry. I'm very tired. I haven't slept. It's difficult... ...difficult to talk. you read my notes, Miss Nicholson? Doctor, you need some rest. Yes, I know, but... Please read my notes.
2: At 9 p.m., I placed the seeds taken from the severed hand of X in four inches of earth. I saturated the earth. I saturated the earth with two units of plasma taken from our blood bank. The condition of the dog found in the greenhouse indicated that blood was a primal factor in the cultivation of the seeds. At 2 a.m. At 2 a.m., the first sprouts appeared through the soil.
1: Five no. hours, no. Yes, I used another two units of plasma. At 4 a.m., the sprouts began to take on definite form. I came to the... Con- I see by your faces you don't believe me. Well, you're going well, to You may judge it. for yourselves. Oh, no, it isn't possible. It reproduces itself at amazing speed would bear out captain henry's impression when he saw the creature in the door of the greenhouse it seemed to have grown a new arm this uh, pulsating doctor although they were breathing yes <laughs> human plants superhuman all of this because of the blood plasma doctor that's correct notice these closer to the source of the plasma are well, these farther away how many units have we enough i hope Would you care to listen to them, Professor Wilson? Yes, thank you. I should. Well? Almost like the wail of a newborn child that's hungry. That's the way I would have described it. Doctor. Yes, Miss Nichols?
2: Would you mind very much if I... Will you... Will you be needing me anymore?
1: No, just finish typing my notes. Return them to me. Let no one see them. Doctor think you should get some sleep. There's too much to do, Professor Wilson. But your mind can't work if you're exhausted. My mind's still perfectly clear. No, it isn't, Doctor. You aren't thinking what's happening there in the greenhouse. He's growing those seeds in there using blood, just as you are. You've seen what one creature like that can do. Just imagine a thousand. I have imagined it. Arthur, what if that aircraft came here not just to visit the earth, but to conquer it? To start growing some kind of horrible army. Turn the human race into food for it. Are many things threatening our world? New stars, comets shooting through space? Those are theories. This is an enemy right here. There are no enemies in science, Professor. Only phenomena to study. We are studying one.
4: Captain Hendry asks Nikki about the blood plasma at the station. Nicky gives Captain Hendry Dr. Carrington's notes. Captain Henry reads Dr. Carrington's notes and heads for Dr. Carrington's lab. He confronts Dr. Carrington and stops the experiments.
2: Come in. Hello, Pat.
1: Hi. Nikki, I want to ask you something. Has anybody up here been hurt lately? Anybody no. shot or stabbed or operated on?
2: No, that what is it in the greenhouse has been our first diversion.
1: I brought up 35 units of blood plasma two months ago. What's become of it?
2: Why do you want to know?
1: I wondered why they're not giving it to Dr. Stern. They're giving him blood transfusions instead of plasma. Two live donors. What's Carrington doing with 35 units of blood plasma, Nicky?
2: I guess... I guess you better take a swing at my chin and have a look at those notes. Should be trying to stop you.
1: So that's what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks for not stopping
2: me, Pat. Mm-hmm. Would you remember something? He's tired. He hasn't slept since you found that thing, and he's not thinking right. I know him, and he doesn't think the way we do anyway. But he's found something that no one can understand, and until he can solve it, he'll, you know, like a kid with a new toy. He'll just.
1: Only this toy level to bite him. Thanks again. Where's Dr. Carrington? Sorry, Captain. I have no uh, authorization Captain, to give you any... I'm very busy. I, I know you're busy,
0: you Doctor. I understand you've been doing a bit of gardening. Where are they?
1: Why? I... to the nursery, Pat. I don't tolerate intrusions into my laboratory. Please don't touch me. This is what your late colleagues are doing in the greenhouse, Doctor. Except this is a distinct improvement. What happened in the greenhouse was not my fault. We've read your notes, Arthur. Yeah. I think you should have consulted the rest of us. I have all the help I need. Your opinion has not been asked. It has by Captain Henry, and I've given it to him. I'll repeat it for you. We're facing something unpredictably dangerous. A creature in the greenhouse is obviously multiplying itself in this identical fashion. And we have no way of finding out how much you can multiply. It'll need more blood and it'll make every effort to obtain what it needs. It's been imprisoned and is therefore harmless. How can you be sure of our safety? Or more important, the safety of the world? Think of a thousand of such creatures. Ten thousand. Yes, it must be destroyed and no. along with it. No. We can burn these. What about that thing in the greenhouse? You're talking like frightened school You're guys. right, Doctor. I am frightened.
4: The alien breaks out of the greenhouse and heads for the mess hall. As the alien enters the mess hall, they douse him with kerosene and set him on fire. The alien dives through one of the windows and runs off into the storm covered in flames. The scientists and Captain Hendry's men devise a plan to fry the alien by making an electric flytrap. Then the alien shuts off the oil supply to the heaters.
2: Hey, say that again.
1: Oh, Nicky, not you, too. He's sensitive about his you hair. You, too. I got hair. Well, it doesn't make you any prettier. No, no, your breath. I'm sorry. He's sensitive about that, too. I've been very upset lately, my...
2: Oh, you ninny. <laughs> look, that's hey, what look. I mean.
1: You, too. It's getting cold in
2: here. The heat must be off.
1: It is off. It's not getting any
0: oil. See if it's the same way in the room across the hall of Where do these heaters get their oil from? Round well,
1: behind, Outside. It's off in of the mess hall. No, no more oil coming in. Yeah, it's off in there too. Will the tank be empty? Filled day before yesterday. The main line could be plugged. You better get outside and fix it. We'll probably run
0: smack into our visitor. He'd we'll be waiting for you to do just that. We underestimate He's this a guy. Bit turned off. Trying to freeze us out, huh? That isn't going to be hard. Down to forty degrees now. It's sixty below outside. How long do these rooms
1: hold any heat? Half an hour at the most. By then we'll all be Well, stiff Look, if a...
2: no one goes out to fix that oil line, want not want to think of something else?
1: You'll think the same thing I am. That our only chance to keep warm would be electricity, heaters, blankets, anything like that. Yeah. Yes, it could break the circuit, cut a line anywhere except at the source. Sure, the generator room. Get them all in there. I'll tell Tex. Bring
0: any Electrical stuff, food, medicine, blankets, warm clothes, anything you can find. And Mac, bring our flying clothes. Pat, most of them got burned, but I'll see what I can salvage.
4: They gather everybody in the generator room. The electric flytrap is now set and ready to go. The alien breaks into the station and heads for the people. Meanwhile, Dr. Carrington holds everybody at gunpoint and turns off the generator. They wrestle the gun away from him, and then he runs out of the generator room and tries to reason with the alien.
1: Listen, I'm your friend. Look, I have no weapons. I'm your friend. You're wiser than I. You must understand what I'm trying to tell you. Don't go any farther. They'll kill you. They think you mean to harm us all. But I want to know you, to help you. Believe that. You're wiser than anything on Earth. Use that intelligence. Look at me and know what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not your enemy. I'm a scientist. I'm a scientist who's trying
4: The alien brushes him aside and continues to the generator room. The alien steps into the trap they turn on the juice, and they burn him to a crisp. The final scene of the movie, reporter Ned Scott finally gets to make his report about the visitor from another world.
1: Tell General Fogarty we've sent for Captain Hendry. He'll be here in a few minutes. Over. Roger. Over. Are there any newsmen there who can hear me? Over. Places pull up. Over. All right, fellas, here's your story. North Pole, November 3rd. Ned Scott reporting. One of the world's greatest battles was fought in one today by the human race. Here at the top of the world, a handful of American soldiers and civilians met the first invasion from another planet. A man by the name of Noah once saved our world with an arc of wood. Here at the North Pole, a few men performed a similar service with an arc of electricity. The flying saucer which landed here and its pilot have been destroyed, but not without casualties among our own meager forces. I would like to bring to the microphone some of the men responsible for our success. But as senior Air Force officer, Captain Hendry, is attending to demands over and above the call of duty. Dr. Carrington, the leader of the scientific expedition, is recovering from wounds received in the battle. Good for you, Scotty. And now, before giving you the details of the battle, I bring you a warning. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world. Tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the sky.
4: And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. It is generally believed that Howard Hawks took over direction during the production, and it has always been acknowledged by director Christian Naby that Hawks was the guiding hand. However, in an interview with James Arnaz, said that while Hawks spent a lot of time on the set, it was Naby who actually directed the picture, not Hawks. This movie was partially filmed at Glacier National Park and at a Los Angeles ice storage plant. Midget actor Billy Curtis played a smaller version of the Thing during the creature's final scene. James Arness complained that his Thing costume made him look like a giant carrot. Howard Hawks asked the U.S. Air Force for assistance in making this film. He was refused because Top Brass felt that such cooperation would compromise the U.S. government's official stance that UFOs didn't exist. Close-ups of the thing were removed. It was felt that the makeup could not hold up to close scrutiny. However, the lack of close-ups gave the creature more mysterious quality. The famous scene when the crew form a ring around the flying saucer frozen in the ice is actually filmed at Archeo Ranch in the San Fernando Valley in 100-degree weather. The scene in which The Thing is doused with kerosene and set ablaze is believed to be the first full-body burn accomplished by a stuntman. The opening credits are unusual in that they don't list a single member of the cast. Directors Ridley Scott, John Frankenheimer, Toby Hooper, and John Carpenter, who remade The Thing, all cited the movie as a key influential film in their lives. And that's all I have for trivia. And here are my comments about the movie. I watched the 2003 DVD release from Warner Brothers Studio. I picked it up at Fry's for like five bucks. The picture quality is okay, and the sound quality is okay. The only extra feature is the theatrical trailer. That's it. It came in one of those cardboard snap cases. I really don't like the cardboard snap cases, but the artwork on it was pretty cool. This is a great movie. It's one of my top three favorite science fiction movies from the 1950s. The other two movies being The Day the Earth Does Still, and Forbidden Planet, I love this movie. I've watched this movie probably four times in preparation for this podcast, and I and I still enjoy it. This is a great movie. It's got a great story. I mean, think about the story. You got a vampire plant man from another planet who comes to Earth to suck our blood. Man, that's classic science fiction. Um, it's got a great musical score. Uh, Dmitri Tmoykin, I hope I'm saying his name right, did an excellent job on this score. I mean, the music is just so eerie and scary um there's a couple things that i've always <laughs> little goofs in the film and uh one of them is at the end of the movie where the alien is he's got you know they're hiding in the generator room and they got the door barricaded and the alien just opens the door and pushes the barricade aside and it's like wow they couldn't do any better than that and i mean i didn't see it as a kid but now as an adult i go hmm that didn't work and then the two other goofs are related about the air force in the movie and if you guys don't know, I'm a SAC, Brad SAC stands for strategic air command. So my dad was in the strategic air command and we lived on military bases. So I, I knew those type military aircraft. And one of the goofs says a C-47 ain't flying 2000 miles nowhere. They don't have that kind of range. The second thing is during the movie, they kept referring to the army. Well, this movie was made in 1951. The Army and Air Force separated and became separate services in 1949. Only a sack brat would know that. But other than that, it's a great movie, well worth the $5 I invested into it. Um, I would recommend this movie to all science fiction fans, and I'll give this movie a 9 out of 10. And those are my comments for the movie. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. Take care, everyone. This is M5, signing off.
2: Or at TreksInSci-Fi.com forward slash forum, or write to Rico today, treksf at gmail.com.
1: Until next time, live long and prosper. Treks in sci.